we're going to turn to an interesting book called Philemon. Philemon. Um, there's just a couple of books like this um, where it's, it's just, you know, tiny, tiny short. Um, and uh, this one's just one chapter. There's only 25 verses. And, um, I mean, I, I've covered that many verses in one sermon. Um, this is like the entire book. We're going to go through the book tonight. We're going to survey it. And we're going to survey it um, with one particular topic in mind. A topic is you. A topic is me. I find it a very fond privilege to be a pastor. I can honestly say I wasn't born thinking I was going to go in ministry. I rebelled against it for a long time. But always remember that God will equip those whom he calls. He doesn't call those who are already equipped. That kind of goes back to my prayer a while ago. If he called those who are already equipped, then we would be getting the glory. And so I kept running and took a near tragedy to open my eyes to the plans that God has for my life. And being in ministry, it's kind of like being in other things. Some days you wake up loving it, and some days you just kind of blah, and then some days you just wish I could do something else. And it's just like anything else in life, right? It's just like anything else. And at the end of the day, when we're all together, sometimes I just like to be just me. I just like to be, you know, Chris Woodard, the follower of Jesus, and I listen to you. As much as y'all kindly give me your attention three services a week, and even more so with, with other events, I like listening to you. I like listening to your stories. I like listening to the things you have to say to me. Because at the end of the day, you have one pastor. I have 200 or so. I listen to your stories and, I, and I, I, I listen to your experiences and I let them speak into my life. I do this because at the end of the day and, and at, when this life is all said and done, we're all in the same category. We're either lost or found. That's it. You're, people are either saved or unsaved, lost or found. And those who are saved, those who are found, we are the bride of Christ the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. And there are certain things that are important for us to do with one another. And we're going to talk about tonight the five A's of one another. Five A's of one another. I want you to listen to a guy by the name of O.S. Hawkins. Any ever, any one of you ever heard of O.S. Hawkins? Okay, O.S. Hawkins is the president of, of um, Guidestone Financial Resources. How many of you ever heard of the, a uh, long time ago, we used to have the annuity board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Anybody here ever heard of the annuity board? All right. See, when you take my class, the Membership Matters class, you learn these things. Um, good advertisement there. 
the annuity board is what pastors used to pay into for our retirement. Now it's called Guidestone Financial Resources, and it's an investment house. They do insurance and dental and all that stuff. O.S. Hawkins is the president. All right. He used to be a pastor, I think, for like 27 years. Listen to what he wrote. Never use your people to build your own ministry. Use the ministry God has given you to build your people. Listen, that's what it's all about, isn't it? We're in the people building business. Our mission statement is all about building people. For the glory of God, we exist to make disciples. We are disciples making disciples, building people. The book of Philemon is about relationships. It's about a very interesting relationship. Um, Very quickly, let me read it. It's not going to take long to read the 25 verses. Follow along with me. Paul A prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker and Apaphia, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Jesus. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing even uh, me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from, from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that Through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, uh, Christ Jesus sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Long story short, Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. Through uh, a course of events and a series of events, Onesimus winds up being jailed in the same place where Paul was being held. They strike up a friendship. Um, Obviously, Onesimus gets his life together and gets his life right. Uh, Paul writes to Philemon, take Onesimus back. 
notice that it was a, wasn't a condemnation of the institute of slavery. Let me give you some reasons why. Number one, it was a different kind of slavery than what we experienced here in America. I want you to notice, though, however, that although slavery was not condemned per se, inequality was dealt with in this letter. He says, I want you to take Onesimus back as you would take me back. In other words, when Onesimus comes, you treat him the same way you would treat me. He may still be your servant, but you need to treat him like you would treat me. By the way, being a servant, there's nothing wrong with that. The Greek word is called doulos, also translated slave, bond servant. That's exactly what Jesus was. He said in Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus said explicitly, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. To serve. So there's nothing in here that culturally we would have a problem with. I also want you to notice something very interesting. At the very end of this letter, verse 24, he mentioned some names. What was the first name he mentioned in verse 24? Mark. Do you know which Mark that was? John Mark. Do y'all remember a little episode in Acts where he had a, where, where, where Paul had a little disagreement with John Mark and they split ways? Listen, somewhere along the way, I don't know how, you don't know either, but something happened. A relationship got reconciled. And notice what he says. And so do Mark, Aristarchus. These are, these are my, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, and his greetings to you. And so do Mark. Considered what? End of verse 24, my fellow worker. It's just an interesting book, and uh, I, I want to take from it seven A's of one another. What are things that we learn from this book? They all start with the letter A. Did I say seven? I meant five. Five A's of one another, things that we can do with one another. All right, first one is this, affirmation. We see that beginning in verse 4, extending through verse 7, affirmation. Look at verse 4 there again. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Do you remember he uses that same line in another letter in the New Testament? Do you remember? Do you know which one? Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God always in my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you making uh, my prayer with joy. Um, Philemon was one of the most beloved people, and I think next to Timothy, that Paul had. The church at Philippi was, I would say, one of the most, was the most beloved church that Paul had. They shared, when you talk about sharing and sufferings, they did it. And that's what that letter is all about, because you, you can only share in someone's sufferings when you are in the image of Christ. And that's a dominant theme of, of that book. But if we look at verse 4, continuing on, uh, verse 5 now. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of good, for, uh, for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, Paul has got to deal with a broken relationship. But that's not the first thing he deals with. But he's not affirming Philemon. He's not trying to butter him up. He's being sincere. Because 
among Philemon's faults, there are still some really cool things that he was doing. You may feel like you're beaten down and the only thing that's right in front of your face are your failures, but your life is not 100% failure. There's always something to be affirmed. Always. Part of our life together is spent in affirmation. We are to affirm one another. Paul begins by giving Philemon a pat on the back. Think about it from Philemon's point of view. How do you think he felt when he read, Your love has given me great hope and effect and encouragement for you? How many of you do not like getting compliments? Anybody? You don't like getting compliments. I'll, I'll see more hands with this. How many struggle with getting compliments? Say, uh, brother, sister, man, that was a fantastic job. Well, yeah, but I'll tell you, it could have been whatever. I had a secretary once. Um, she's gone to be with the Lord, but I, I did not take compliments well. And uh, Miss Carnegie, she was our church secretary. And Miss Carnegie was one of those ladies that she would sit you down and you would listen to her. She said, Chris. When someone compliments you, all you have to do is say, thank you. Take the compliment. But Miss Carnegie, no, you take the compliment. But no, no, you take the compliment. But just say thank you. But what? She said, they're taking the time to compliment because something you did was noticed by them. You don't know how it's spoken. It may have been insignificant to you. It may not have been your best whatever, but it spoke to them. Take the compliment. Sometimes taking the compliment is an encouragement. So we affirm one another. All right, that's uh, A, uh, number one, A. Number two, A, is accommodation. Accommodation. Listen to verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man. And now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. This is accommodation. What do you mean accommodation, Pastor? Let me write the word and I'll explain. Comma. Is it a commo or a comma? A commo. Philemon, over here, Onesimus, here. There is a problem. Insert Paul. A friend to Philemon, God ordained and decreed and brought together a series of events that helped him, Paul, to develop a relationship with Onesimus. Onesimus and Paul were talking, and Onesimus says, yeah, I was a servant in a certain household, and I just won't like the way things are going. I ran away. Well, what household were you? Uh, some guy named uh, Mr. Philemon. You know, that's when Paul dropped his fork, you know, at the dinner table. Philemon? I know Philemon. 
You were a servant with Philemon. I cannot believe he mistreats you. Tell me more. Through that building of a relationship, he says, you know, how about if I speak to Philemon on your behalf? You're a good man, Onesimus. I've gotten to know you. Paul is accommodating both parties. He is, in fact, being a peacemaker right here. He is helping to restore this relationship that was broken. Notice that Paul said, Philemon, uh, if I wanted to, I could strong arm you. Because I am your elder, spiritually speaking. It's right here in the text. I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet, I love you. And I don't think love ought to be forced. I, 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 Philemon, I'm just going to appeal to your good nature. You take back Onesimus. He's going to be useful to you now. Okay? Paul didn't say anything about what he was saying to Onesimus this whole time, but you can about imagine what Paul's thinking. I've had him under my wing. I've taught him a lot about Jesus, and he, he knows now what it means to be a servant. Accommodation. Number three. Oh, we are to look for ways to be peacemakers. Finish this verse. You know it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. The only beatitude that's that explicit on, on identifying us in a relationship with, with God would be children. Does that mean that we're to be all up in everybody's business? No, it isn't. It isn't. But it does mean when I see that there's conflict, or I may notice that there's a conflict for some, there, there's nothing wrong with me very gently and in a loving way. Ask, is everything all right? Is there something that I can do to help? You can't force reconciliation, okay? He couldn't, you know, he, he mentioned that in, in, right there in, in, in verse 8. But he said, I'm not going to force you. You got, a big, you got a big enough heart anyway, Philemon. I know you're going to make the right decision. All right. So that's accommodation. Number three, acceptance. Acceptance. Look at verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf. During my imprisonment for the gospel. But I, I prefer to do nothing without your consent. In order that your goodness might not be by compulsion. But of your own accord. And going from verse 15 into 16. He says you're going to have him back forever. No longer as a slave. But more than that. You're going to have him as a, as a brother. Especially to me. But how much more to you. Both in the flesh. And in the Lord. True reconciliation, from point number two, leads to acceptance at point number three. You can tell when true reconciliation has taken place because you both, both parties accept one another. Now, some interesting things about acceptance. Paul is letting Philemon know that when you take him back, he's going to be more to you than what he was before. Before he was just a slave. He's going to be more than that. 
He's not just describing Onesimus. At least the change in Onesimus. He's also, Paul is also describing the change in Philemon's heart as well. Because for, if I'm Philemon, for me to accept Onesimus back, to be more than what he was when he left, there's some changing that I've got to do. It means when he comes walking through that door, I'm no longer just a, a master over him. We're equals. There's been rehabilitation on both sides. That's part of reconciliation. Now, here's the key. It does take time at times. Okay. Um, healing, you know, it's depending on the wound. I, I have a scar. Y'all, y'all will never see it because of, but in my thigh right here, it starts right about here. I have a, I have a big scar from here and it extends about right there. Um, when I was uh, a young teenager, I was, uh, I got into like rock climbing and all that fun stuff and I fell. And um, you know how leaves can be wet and, and you just slide. It's like sliding on ice. And I slid and slid and, and a barbed wire fence stopped me of all things. So it did its job. It stopped me. Well, it, it did a pretty big gash. Over the years, it seemed to have faded. It's not quite as prominent, but it is still there. Okay? In other words, there's still healing taking place. My point is, is that when it comes to reconciliation, you know, we're, we're accommodating the differences and we're trying to find the common ground. The acceptance, um, th- there ought to be a place where Christ's love kind of levels out everything, but there's still going to be some adjusting and growing. Okay. It has to be intentional, though. If you, if you leave it alone, it, it, a lot of times it don't happen. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But it always yields better results. And that person is way, you see that person differently. Um, I was the kid in high school. I, I never got into fights. I always started them, you know. Because I used to just stir a pot and just stand back and... Um, I, I kind of tease about that, but um, when y'all were in school, did y'all ever notice when, when two kids would get in a fight, sometimes they'd, after they were expelled or got in trouble, whatever, they'd come back and they'd be hanging, they'd be best buddies or something. I, have you, I've never figured out why or how, but it's just like once the, once the thing erupts, they're buddies, you know? And I'm like, how in the world? That, that's kind of like that whole acceptance thing. Sometimes it takes a conflict to realize how similar two people are. You know, and you get to know that person. You're right, Miss Joe. So the five A's of one another, things that we are to do with one another, we affirm one another, we accommodate, we help be peacemakers, and we accept. Okay. What about um, well, what about sin, Pastor? What about sin? This past week, I was reading online of a youth workers conference. Matter of fact, it's the National Youth Workers Conference. My wife and I used to attend them religiously back in the day. This year, they have added a special conference, a special session on how to minister to LGBT students. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered. Now... In the description, it didn't say what the goal was. Was it to 
say that maybe what you're doing is wrong or whatever. It just it just described that this is about to do. What do we do when, when when we talk about acceptance? Does that mean we accept anything? Okay. Well, the answer is kind of right, but we would put an asterisk beside it. Surely we would accept anybody to come walking through those doors to have a seat in worship. When it comes to the church, and I mean church, capital C, membership, meaning regenerate, you have to talk about change. You can't accept all of that and say, well, we'll get it, we'll put your name on the roll and then we'll work on it. That won't, that never happens. We were doing a new members class. Uh, my, the pastor I was serving under, uh, we had gotten this instituted at a church I was, I was his associate. And the and, uh, uh, Lord called him on to another ministry. And I was still there during the interim time. And the deacons were meeting one particular night. And I was there. And, and they wanted to do away with the new members class. They said, we, we just don't like that. It, it keeps people from, from joining the church. We had a double-digit percentage increase in church memberships after the class got instituted. Um, so their information was faulty in any event. Um, one of the deacons said, and I quote, how can we get them into the church and get them to join and then get them saved? By this, you know, that's why he wanted to get rid of the class. He wanted to get them into the church and be a member and then get them saved. That doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. So you have to understand that there is a line here that we're talking about with acceptance, but... The biggest thing we usually have to worry with is the acceptance of one another. We have faults, we have failures, we have uh, victories too, but we need to look at one another a little bit differently from time to time. All right, the next A, number four, is called allegiance. Allegiance. Look at verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you or owes you, charge that to my account. I'm writing this with my own hand, verse 19. I'm going to repay it. Brother, I want to, uh, yes, brother, verse 20, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. What are we talking about here in allegiance? You could use the word commitment. Paul is talking about a committed relationship between brothers in Christ. Let me put it another way. We ought to be ready to defend one another as the body of Christ. We have a little rule uh, with, with my staff and I make sure that they know this, that no one in the church will ever divide my staff. Don't try to whisper into Greg's ear and then try to whisper into my ear. That does not work. You won't divide my staff. I will take complaints, but Greg and I deal with them privately behind closed doors. I have an allegiance to him because I expect 
undying allegiance from my staff. As a pastor, you may not understand it, but you have to. But likewise, I have an allegiance to you. I kind of expect an allegiance back. Not, not a blind allegiance. But I'm going to stick up for this church. I'm not going to name a name, but a good testimony. About a year or so ago, I was in someone's living room. I was just on a visit with some church members and just in a person's living room. And this person was talking about some talk, you know, and they had heard or whatever. And, and uh, trying to badmouth uh, uh, the church. And, and uh, they didn't put up with it one minute. Not one minute. Not hours, but. We need to have allegiance for the brother and sisterhood. See, even when, even when storms come our way, do you realize that storms come to every single congregation? Did you know that at some point in time, a church is going to fall on rough times? See, even, even right now, uh, Hilliard First, they're looking for a pastor right now. We need to be praying for that church. Yeah. There, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Likewise, and even more so, we need to have allegiance with one another. Uh, I'll never forget a conversation. I had just started in the pastoral ministry in 2007. Uh, uh, I graduated in 2008 with my master's. So, and I would, I'd already graduated. I had to come back for something. And I saw an old, old uh, classmate um, in one of the buildings there. And... Um, we, were, we had a chance to sit down, and I was talking about ministry and, and how fun being a pastor was and, and just loving it. And, and uh, he was getting ready to do the same thing. He was going to be graduating next semester. And, and I said, I remind I said, love your people. Love your people. Love your people. And here's what, he, here's what he said. I kid you not. He said, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, I actually, I, I was, I, for a while, I was, I was disappointed he asked the question, but, but I was glad he did. Because at least he's asking. You know, there's folks out there who... You know, wouldn't care. He wanted to know. He wanted to know. I told him at the end of our conversation, I said, I said, just listen to me. I said, your people will know if you love them. There'll be no mistake about it. They'll know. They'll know. Sometimes you got to love congregations differently, love individuals differently. And, you know, I, uh, even with my son and my daughter, uh, I love them 25 hours a day. Now, my love for them is expressed in different ways. Okay. I illustrate it by saying their name. Elijah, Sarah, how was your day at school today? Elijah, Sarah, whatever. When I say Elijah Thomas Woodard, come here. Now, his behavior has changed, but my love for him hasn't. My response to his behavior will be changing, but my love for him has it. But I still love him. You realize our love is supposed to be the same way. Not to be cruel, but to be corrective. Hey, that's a good one. Our love is not to be cruel, but corrective. That, that's a, I need to remember that one. It is supposed to be corrective. To keep ourselves in line. To keep ourselves in check. And all right, that's allegiance. Number five, and, and we're done. Number five, last one, accountability. This, this one flows really well here. Accountability. 
Look at verse 22 here. At the same time, prepare a guest room, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. He says, Philemon, make up a bed, change the sheets. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that when I am released, um, I'll be able to come to you. I'll be under actually your, your watch care. Now, if you remember earlier in the letter, Paul said that I'm actually your elder. But in this case, I'm actually going to be under you. You could almost liken it to when he's released from, from prison, there's still some probation still left. Why is it? He, he's, Paul is never too good to be accountable. And this, and this right here, if we could asterisk, I, I, like the most important, I, I think this is a biggie right here. Okay. I'm first accountable to my Lord, and so are you. We are accountable to our spouses if we are married. We are accountable to, uh, to God for our children if we're parents. No matter how old they are, we're always parents. You know, doesn't matter. We are accountable to one another. I am actually accountable for you. But what does all, all this mean? It means that my life is driven by an expectancy that you have for me and that I must deliver on that expectancy at any given time. I've got to give an account for it. That's what the, that's the root word of accountability is account. What's an account? Well, we have checking accounts. It means that at any given time, when I go to Wells Fargo, they must give an account of my money. Okay. If I have... If I have a savings account there, and I do, and I say, would you please show me an accounting of my savings account? They have to show me the deposits and credits, interest earned, and any debits from the account. It is their responsibility. Likewise, we are accountable to one another. There are demands that you have upon me, not unreasonable, I might add. And I must deliver. I'm accountable to deliver sermons. I think well-prepared sermons. Negligible on execution, but still well-studied and prepared. You expect a, a church that, you know, is, is uh, ready for worship. Neatly appointed, etc. Lights on, whatever. We, we are accountable to one another. Sometimes that accountability needs to take a few steps and go a few steps beyond what I've just described and go into our personal lives. How many of you have ever heard of the phrase accountability partners? Anybody ever? Those are good things to have. It, it, it means that you have picked out one, two, three, or four, whatever, individuals, and, and, and they are very intimate with you and and. You share and you can trust them and, and you divulge things to them. And in return, they will tell you if that's a good biblical way of thinking or acting or whatever. And help you to replace it with, with biblical actions or words or thoughts or whatever. It's an accountability partner. It's to help challenge us, to make us, to help us grow. Paul had the same idea. To be under Philemon. 
He says not only that, but look at verse 23 and 24. We've already mentioned, but Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, we send greetings to you. Instead of Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. We're on, we're on the same, you know, we're on the same footing. We're on the same level. We don't know much about Aristarchus, don't know much about Demas. Mark and Luke we know a little bit more about, but he didn't see status. He just saw fellow workers. And he was accountable to them too. All right. Five A's of one another. Affirmation, accommodation, acceptance, allegiance, and accountability. 